and welcome to the Let's Talk Talent podcast. We're going to be sharing over a series of episodes, tips and techniques, bringing our friends and family to share their stories, their experience of working life today, because together we can create simply irresistible organizations. Happy listening. Hi, everybody. I'm Joe, MD of Let's Talk Talent, and I'm really excited to be joined today by Mel Francis. Mel is a senior HR professional and neurodiversity champion, and she's joining me on episode 11 of the Let's Talk Talent podcast to talk about neurodiversity. So welcome, Mel. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for asking me to join you. It's so lovely. Brilliant. So let's dive in. For all of our listeners, tell us what neurodiversity is. Yeah, it's a great question, Joe. I think a lot of us have heard this term being used quite frequently now and yet there's still a bit of a misunderstanding from some not everyone as to what neurodiversity is so let me just explain neurodiversity is an umbrella term which is used to describe all neurodiverse conditions and people have heard of some of these conditions maybe have heard of all of them but let me just give you a list of what those conditions are they are dyslexia which is where people may have problems with reading writing and spelling dyscalculia, which affects the ability to acquire math skills, developmental coordination disorder or dyspraxia, which affects our fine and or gross motor coordination. And that's in children and adults and may also affect speech. Developmental language disorder, which is a type of speech, language and communication need where the individual may have difficulty talking and understanding language. Autistic spectrum disorder, which is the way in which people think about and experience the world around them, which may be different to most people. And the next condition is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which is ADHD, which is a condition that affects people's behavior. People may seem restless or have trouble concentrating or may act on impulse. And then finally, Tourette syndrome, which some people feel shouldn't be under the neurodiversity banner, but I'm popping it under there, which is a condition that causes a person to make involuntary sounds and movements called tics. So the umbrella term neurodiversity was coined by a lady called Judy Singer, who's still really active in this space in championing neurodiversity. She's Australian. And it really describes all of those conditions. So why is this important for HR professionals to be aware of? And in your experience, how good is HR in being inclusive and um, being cognizant of this wide ranging spectrum? of um, symptoms and objectives? It is a really great question. I think, you know, if we look at the job title, diversity and inclusion, or jobs including that term, have increased by 104% in the last year. And yet the number of those diversity and inclusion strategies that are including neurodiversity is still not many. So I think we've still got a great opportunity here to make this difference. And the reason why I feel like it's so vitally important is Recent research shows that up to one in five of us are neurodiverse. So that means that that's 20% of our working population, which is a lot of talent. And if we're overlooking those talented individuals because of neurodiverse conditions or with a lack of understanding of neurodiverse conditions, that's a lot of talent to miss out on. So I think for me as an HR professional, it's been really important to me to continue to champion or to champion not continue and I will continue but to start to champion neurodiversity because it's such an important element of 
true diversity and of diverse talent. So what can people practically do when they're looking at getting great people and keeping great people? Are there tips and tricks that you've seen work really well in businesses that you want to pass on to our listeners? Yeah, sure. I think the first thing to say is for HR professionals or all of us, not just HR professionals, but for all of us to increase our awareness and appreciation of neurodiversity. So what is it? What does it mean? Every one of those neurodiverse conditions that I mentioned has strengths and challenges. And yet, when we talk about neurodiversity, we focus on the challenges. And actually, if you think about the terminology that I've just used, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, there's already negative connotations with those conditions. But actually, each of those conditions has strengths and challenges. And if we think about neurodiversity, which literally translates as our brains are different, our neuros are diverse, it means that within your organization, if you're just going to continue to recruit people who look like you, think like you, talk like you, as we all know, that is not going to give you the most creative, diverse team. Matthew Syed, who many of us know, has written a great book called Rebel Ideas, in which he talks about cognitive diversity. Now, for me, cognitive diversity and neurodiversity are the same. But the way in which he articulates this and describes it is brilliant and really brings it to life with the diversity in the room and the difference that that makes to organizations and to making different decisions and to being creative and to really excelling in their space. So really truthfully, if we all believe that everyone is talent, then it's it's less about diversity, isn't it? And more about inclusion yeah. and creating workplaces where people feel that they can be themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. It sort of truly represents that whole that everyone has talent and it's kind of that potential for what? Yeah. So what have you been doing to kind of champion that? You know, we introduced you as a neurodiverse champion. What are you doing yourself? Because it's obviously coming from a a pure passion piece for you as as much as it is a kind of professional place. Yeah, it's actually coming from a personal place, Joe. So my son was diagnosed with autistic spectrum disorder about three years ago. And that really was the starting point for me, because when we had his diagnosis, I didn't really understand what that meant. And so that was the point at which I started to research and to understand. And actually, the child psychologist gave me this brilliant little cartoon, which I can share with you and the listeners, which was called Understanding the Spectrum. And the first thing that it explained to me was autism is not a line that goes from not autistic to very autistic. And you just kind of plonk your child somewhere along there. It's a really complex, if you think of it, like a kaleidoscope of colors and boxes and shapes And when you do the assessment or when they do the assessment, what they're looking to do is to look for the spikes in that profile to determine where those strengths and challenges are and whether or not that leads to a diagnosis of autism in his case, which it did. And so that really started that increasing that understanding. So that's when I started to realise that as an HR professional and as HR more broadly we just weren't talking about it and I didn't really understand why and why it wasn't prevalent in our diversity and inclusion efforts so I started and I would recommend anybody starts with increasing awareness understanding what is neurodiversity what does it mean take it from the basis of you looking beyond 
the stereotypical descriptions of each of those conditions and take it from the strengths and challenges and seek to understand that. And then apply the neurodiversity lens across your organization and right across your employee life cycle. So before anybody even thinks about coming to work at your organization, where do they go? They'll go to your website. What does your website say about your organization? It might just say, we are striving to be neuroinclusive. You don't have to be there. But the fact that you indicate that you're on that path, I think, is really important. Then look at the way in which you recruit. You know, what do your job adverts say? Are they inclusive? Do they say too much? Do your job descriptions say too much? Invariably, they do. You know, what is the job? Think about this from somebody who might be neurodiverse and really apply the highlights of the job and don't go on. We all have kind of layers in job descriptions. Then think about your recruitment process, your interview process. Think about asking the question, what can I do to make this the best possible experience for you? As opposed to what reasonable adjustments are required changing the tone and changing the language helps to just continue this journey of being neuroinclusive and that continues with the interview process thinking about have you sent a map do they know who they're going to be meeting have you booked the room is the room too bright is the room smelly because someone's had something smelly for lunch or too many people walking through past the window you know all of these things are really important And then through your journey, you know, once people are in, what's your onboarding process? What's your induction? What's the first day? How do they get to the office or to your workplace or get set up at home answering all of these questions? And then once they're in, being clear about this is the job. This is how we're going to do it. These are the tools, but also enabling them to be creative, to use their brilliant neurodiverse minds to think differently about the way in which something is done or your objectives or your strategy will really be enhanced by having people who think differently and taking it right through so performance management processes transitions are sometimes tricky for those who are neurodiverse so if you think about the point at which we all had to stay at home for lockdown that was really difficult for some people to transition to home working and everything that that played out. And now we're coming out of the need to be at home. What does that look like? And listen to people who are telling you that actually they feel more comfortable in their home environment. And if they're performing well, do you really need them to come back to the office? So there's so many elements right throughout that really benefit from applying the neurodiversity lens and forever learning about what that means and talk to people, you know, involve your neurodiverse colleagues in your organisation. So maybe a bit of a controversial one, but you you mentioned it in one of when you were talking that there has been a, a huge increase in diversity and inclusion roles and um, that and engagement roles have kind of split since the pandemic have doubled. Yeah. Is this just a fad? Is this something that people are jumping on? How do we make it mainstream? How do we stop it becoming something that's suddenly the fad of the moment and much more about that whole piece of inclusivity and fairness and transparency? Yeah, really interesting question. I don't think it's a fad. I think probably what we're seeing, Joe, is that neurodiversity is becoming more understood. So, for example, when I was at school, so I'm in my 40s, when I was at school, it wasn't a thing. You know, I think I knew of one person who had dyslexia. 
I knew of one kid who was really naughty in the class. He was constantly in trouble, really disruptive. And what I know now about neurodiverse conditions, the likelihood is that he would have been diagnosed with ADHD. So I think what we're doing actually is evolving our knowledge and the number of people now who are being diagnosed later in life is really increasing. And yet, is a diagnosis really important? You know, do you need to have whatever it is, a certificate, a report or whatever to tell you that you have that condition? Or are we able now to, because we know more about neurodiverse conditions, to make a diagnosis or decide or determine that we have that condition ourselves? So I don't think it's a fad. I think it's something that as our knowledge and understanding increases, so will our appreciation of the fact that neurodiverse talent is really important. And I think that will come from the fact that we're seeing more people disclose or not just disclose, but determine that they are neurodiverse and they are in senior positions. They've been really successful. And then we can go, oh, they're neurodiverse. And we'll start to really see that come to the fore more. So I don't think it's going to go away. Which is brilliant because that's what true talent management is all about. Absolutely. There was a brilliant ITV ad recently that had some of their, you know, reality stars and some of the people when they they sort of said it was all about hidden disability. And there was one lady who said, you know, I suffer from mental health. I suffer from ADHD. I think Melanie Sykes this week. Mm came out and said that she there's a norm what you're saying and what I love is that you're saying this let's just make this normal and I've never believed and you know this because we've known each other for a long time I don't believe in putting people in boxes and I think what you're saying is a diagnosis is helpful and it makes you understand but then it isn't about then a set of characteristics or principles to then solve a problem it's actually about understanding and and really allowing somebody to thrive normally yeah absolutely and when you think about the fact that you know mental health challenges are prevalent for those who are neurodiverse and in some situations the reason is because we're in a world that doesn't fit with those boxes so you're constantly challenging or trying to fit yes and we're in a world where it's just really accepting then your energy can be spent on other things rather than trying to fit that's simplistic but I think that's work but it can be hard right oh gosh absolutely it can be hard to feel different in an environment that is set up not for you and I remember seeing that when I was at channel four and I, I ran a lot of programs yeah to bring in people from diverse backgrounds and I remember looking through the applications and you know your heart melted and this and we're talking 10 15 years ago of people that would never be considered mainstream mm-hmm. but actually it's about embracing yeah we've all got things that we don't show no exactly yeah um, so it's kind of it's, it's like we've talked about before it's putting the human yeah um into hr love it so final question mm-hmm. What can businesses do to benchmark themselves? Is there anything that, you know, you would advise any, you know, contact you, for example, (laughs) other other people that you work with? Yeah. So there isn't a benchmark, really. I think 
I wouldn't want that to hold anybody back though. I think the thing is just start. So I'm currently at London Business School, which is brilliant. And we've just started, I had the pleasure last week of talking to the people team about neurodiversity, which I could see the reception from them was really positive. And I'm really optimistic that we're going to make a big difference for London Business School staff and for students actually. So my advice is just start talk to me really happy to talk to you about how to get started in my previous role to this I worked with an organization called JISC who are an ed tech business and again we started with an awareness raising session which was really well received but led on to the creation of a special interest group for staff so anybody that just had an interest in neurodiversity and we were averaging I think about 50 of us getting together every month wow Yeah, it's great. And we switched from, you know, just talking generally about neurodiversity to having more of a focus on a condition each month. And individuals from the business were really happy to share their experiences of that condition. And what that meant was, you know, there's nothing more powerful than a personal story. But it also meant that people had real growth in their appreciation of the brilliance of neurodiversity because, you know, they knew that person. They knew they were brilliant at what they did. And they learned more about that neurodiverse talent in the best of ways, really. So I would say just start, increase your awareness, increase your appreciation, start talking about it in your organization and it will grow. It will tell you which way it wants to go. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, getting raw with us in terms of your personal journey and we're here and if anybody wants to contact Mel then please get in contact with us we're really happy to connect you because good people know good people as they say if we want to create simply irresistible organizations just start because that's what it's all about so thank you so much Mel my absolute pleasure thank you for inviting me Joan thank you and we look forward to speaking to you again thank you If you like this episode of the podcast, please subscribe, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Go to letstalktalent.co.uk forward slash podcast for a transcript of this episode along with all the links we've discussed today.